You're listening to Inside the Athletic Mind with your hosts, Taylor Cook, Lauren Williams, and Margaret Jennings. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Athletic Mind, where we dig deep and shed light on the mental side of sports for female athletes and coaches by having open conversations about mental health, mindset, and performance. All right. Uh, Well, today we're going to be talking about a couple different things. We've got some updates in the women's hockey world that we'll chat about for a little bit. And we're also going to be talking about burnout today, which I think on the athletic side, all of us have had some kind of experience with burnout um, and being in like the high achiever mindset at one point in our lives as athletes contributed heavily to that. I'm, I'm going to assume. (laughs) Don't mean to put words in your mouth. (laughs) No, I will jump on board. (laughs) MJ, are you jumping on board or are you, are you standing by? I'm undecided. Just need to give it a little more time. Need to sit we'll with check, it. We'll check bit. back in at the end of the episode and see how that's going for you. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. So, All right, well, Taylor, to kick things off here. We have a little women's hockey news today. So, former USA Hockey Women's Director Reagan Carey has been named the Premier Hockey Federation Commissioner moving forward. Mm. So, big congrats to her. That's uh huge accomplishment and it's always great to see like females at the ho- at like the top of the the female game you know yeah always want to support that which the phf has always done a really good job of i think every commissioner they've had has been female right yeah i can't remember who was who was the name of the the girl or woman rather who was commissioner of the the nwhl before they was it uh, danny ryland I think that's it. Yeah. She yeah. like, she's done a lot of really great stuff for the NWHL. And I know like she's a bit of a, I don't know, like hot, I don't know if hot topic is the right thing, but like mm. she's done so much, but there's also a lot of criticism that she's faced along the way as well. Controversial. <laughs> there we go. That's what I was looking for. She's a very controversial figure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it'll be good for them to get like some big leadership in because Reagan obviously has a lot of experience working with USA Hockey. And um, I mean, you know, no matter who takes over, you're going to find some fault in, in what they've done or maybe how they do things. But I think that it's a step forward for women's hockey, which is important. That's what we'd like to see. Yeah. And on the other side of things, I think there's um, a lot to be talked about, too, with the PWHPA and the interactions they've had as of late with the PHF. Um, and being a member of, of the PWHPA myself, it's all been, I mean, relatively confusing, I think. Um, Everybody has been pretty confused about both leagues in general, honestly. I know I have. Yeah, but... Um, I mean, news with the the new league that they're wanting to start is really encouraging and, and even having like a league minimum salary is really exciting. And um, we've been having conversations about like making sure that as an athlete, that is your primary job. That is your job. 
you're not expected to have, you know, a secondary job anymore, but obviously it's all very hypothetical at this point and don't have any concrete details, but I do think the world of women's hockey is going in the right direction. Just Mm -hmm. gone through some growing pains. Oh, some major growing pains. So like Mm -hmm. one of those growing pains is obviously uh, the PHF and the PWH. PWHPA. God, I can't wait till they change that league title. Holy moly. Um, <laughs> it's a mouthful. But they had, yeah, they had discussions a couple of weeks ago that the NHL kind of was trying to mediate between the two. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's, let's get into that a little bit. Like how they, I don't know if I want to say amicably decided to no longer talk anymore because the, mm-hmm. the leagues have kind of been at each other's throats since their inception, really. Yeah. Well, I think there's a, a large understanding of what's going on, especially from our perspective as coaches, right? Where we talk about like how important it is to to live in alignment with your values. I think the main problem here is that the values of these two leagues, it's it's not meeting, they are not aligned. Um, And, you know, one of the things that wasn't in alignment from at least what I've heard was like getting sufficient ice time. What does that look like? having sufficient locker room space. What does that look like? What are the resources that are available? Um, And the values that each league had placed on those things were very different. And one was simply not willing to compromise on those values. Yeah. And like, I think from some of the things that I've read, you know, the, the PHF, I know that they have a few teams that are associated with some NHL teams like Boston, for example, Um, but those teams have willingly come on to support those teams rather than it being like an actual NHL mandate that says, okay, you guys need to be supporting women's programs and women's leagues. I know there's been individual Mm -hmm. players. Austin Matthews always comes to mind wearing PWHPA swag, Um, Mm -hmm. but the PWHPA had a little bit of a different idea in that regard uh, from, from kind of what I've understood being on the outside reading articles all that fun stuff so like they kind of expected a little bit more involvement with the NHL directly rather than like having teams just willingly come on and and help out yeah I think I mean and along those lines right like one of the things that I think has bothered me throughout this process is that we are still willing to be separated I don't think that we're doing any good having a divide in women's hockey right now. It's still a growing sport. Yes, it is growing. It's one of the fastest growing sports in the world. But if we can't meet in the middle to work together, then we're separating the resources that we have even further. And my mind automatically goes to, and I know that this is like perfect world scenario. Everybody gets along, but if you can double your resources, the product is going to be better. And I wish personally that we could just find a way to make it work together Mm -hmm. under the best value system for the athletes and for the coaches and for the support staff, right? And it's like, if you have more resources, it makes sense to me that it would be easier to accomplish well, and like, I also think one of the, the difficult challenges with this is when you think about starting a professional women's hockey league, you automatically look at the NHL and see what that model is. But the fact of the matter is like, you can't just start a league, like a women's league across an entire country and 
have it operate in the same fashion that the NHL does, mm -hmm. right? They started off with the original six. This is how we're going to have to start off too. Having, I know like the PWHPA has talked about having six teams start off in this league that they're bringing to the table in the beginning of 2023. And mm -hmm. hopefully all going to be on the Eastern side of the country. That way it's less travel. As we all know, traveling in Canada is a expensive shit show. So like, that's also you even make it to where you want to go <laughs> exactly you probably have a connection that gets stopped in winnipeg of all places so um yeah like you have to start somewhere and it's unfortunate that these two leagues aren't willing to compromise a little bit on those values to find a good middle ground that's good for like you said lauren the coaches the athletes the support staff and of course all the fans that we're trying to bring in to support this league as well right yeah, it's like you said, the irony to all of this is that it's two groups that want the same thing, which is more growth and more exposure for women's hockey. But like you said, it's, it's the difference in terms of not the goal because they share that goal, but it's the perception of what, what does it look like to accomplish that goal that's different, right? And that's the challenge. I, and we face it every day, whether it's with our teammates or as a coach with your players, like your perception is your reality and everyone's perception is unique to themselves. But like you said, the strength comes from, okay, like we are going to have differences. It's inevitable. What do we have in common? Like, is there a common cause that we can collectively get behind? And like you said, when it comes, when it becomes more about that process, like growing the game is a process. Like that's not like an end achievement that you just have all of a sudden, there are always opportunities to grow the game, right? Yeah. If it's like, have a professional league, make this much money. Again, that goes back to a lot of the stuff we talk about with goal setting, right? Like a goal is actually an instantaneous moment. So it happens mm -hmm. and then it's done. And then what happens, right? Versus having those values around your process, they are sustainably things that you can intrinsically be motivated to accomplish. So we mm -hmm. can all work together to grow the game, right? I can make this salary, but once I've made this salary, I've made that salary. Then, then what next? A bigger salary, you know, like yeah. more. So <clears throat> that's the challenge I think is the tough part is they all want the same thing, but their perception of what that looks like is creating, you know, a lot of disconnect and, and there's more focus on the differences than the similarities right now, it seems. Well, and it just goes to show you how important values are to people, right? Like we, mm -hmm. we talk about values in the locker room all the time and how important it is. And if, you know, if, if we have conflicting values, how is it that we're going to be able to compromise when we have the same goal at the end of the day? And it's, it's a difficult process to go through, but that doesn't mean that you completely neglect it, right? Like you, you have to at least try. And I'm not saying that the leagues haven't tried, but from my understanding they've been on different pages for a long time and that's kind of history that you can't really erase and and tensions get a little bit high and, and egos get big and and things just don't work out and it's really unfortunate because at, at the end of the day it's the women's game that that suffers as a result yeah absolutely so can we all just gather around the circle and sing kumbaya and be happy about it <laughs> can we just love one another and be kind <laughs> you and know <laughs> cute and yeah that's you MJ. that's all you yeah no 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 no
<laughs> not today. Wow, but okay. As we transition into the topic for today, which honestly I'm feeling like I'm getting a little burnt out on what we just talked about because I feel like we've been having this conversation for so long as female athletes. But let's talk a little bit about burnout, especially in athletes. Um, and I don't know, maybe we want to start with what burnout is so that people have a good understanding. Taylor, you're about to launch a whole masterclass on this topic. Let's hear it. Yeah, so good old burnout, something that we all love. All right, so yeah, so so burnout is essentially a state of emotional, mental, and physical exhaustion that's brought on by prolonged periods of stress. And when it goes unchecked, it can start to have a very serious toll on your mental and your physical health. So it can show up as like feeling hopeless, trapped, or defeated, um, can show up as being detached from your work, from your sport, from your teammates, from loved ones, um, decreasing satisfaction and sense of accomplishment within the locker room or within like the sports area in general, lack of motivation to be doing the tasks that are going to allow you to be playing at your best, like warming up and cooling down, for example, folks, a lot of people love to talk about warming up, but do you know how many times I leave the rink and I don't see people cooling down all the time, drives me nuts. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like people tend to become cynical and start to develop like a really negative outlook about themselves, about their teammates and about the sport in general. Um, so we don't want those things to go unchecked. And that's exactly why we're talking about it today. I think the unique thing about burnout is its ability to completely change your perspective on something. And I went through this as a hockey player in college, hitting that point where after spending, you know, almost 20 years living and breathing a sport that I loved, I was having conversations with people about this stupid game that I was wasting so much energy on. And like the difference between the kid that grew up loving a sport and like begging my parents to take me to the rink half an hour to an hour early before practices so I could get ready to like somebody, a grown adult who was like, borderline looking for ways to not go to practice and actually putting it out into the world that it was something that I thought was a waste of time was insane yeah the other challenging part I find is that we don't always identify that it's starting to happen until mm -hmm. we hit that wall right so it's kind of like the analogy of like a, a pot of water right so you you put it on a stove and it starts to warm and warm like one degree at a time, but you don't really notice the change until it starts to boil. Right. So mm -hmm. for us, like burnout starts with, like you said, like not having conscious time to rest and recuperate and recharge, but we, especially as athletes, we can make excuses. Oh, it's just, it's just this week. It's just fine. I'll be fine. I can do it. I'll be fine. I can do it. And we carry that on until we hit that point where it's like, oh shit, like, like you said, it's that switch of like, why am I here? I hate this, yada, yada, yada. I can't get out of bed in the morning, right? Or you just literally have like a mental or emotional breakdown. So that's mm. the challenge is like burnout means like, okay, like the flame is out, right? Like, it's not like it's dimming, like it's out. And how, mm -hmm. what can we do to avoid that? It's such a unique question because 
I think what often gets people to the point of burnout is good intention, right? Or what they see as hard work or commitment or discipline. Um, and it's a skewed version of that, of course, because like we know that you don't have to sacrifice yourself in order to be committed. You don't have to sacrifice your well-being in order to be disciplined, in order to work hard. But yeah, it's almost it's like people end up getting burnt out because they're so bought into the idea of getting better and wanting to be the best version of who they are as an athlete. But it's like you said, like it's, it's almost like overnight you hit a point where, I mean, yeah, maybe you were a little tired heading into it, but then you wake up and you're just questioning everything that you've done up into that point, questioning its value and your ability to keep going. And that's not a healthy place to be. Well, and like, I think the way I see that is like athletes have a tendency to put a positive spin on our maladaptive strategies. So by mm -hmm. doing all of the things means that we are clearly committed. We're working hard. We want to be here. We're putting in that effort. So naturally we're thinking, okay, I'm doing all of these things that are expected of me to be a leader on this team, to be a, you know, a, a starting, a starting line or a power play or whatever the case is. But in the process of doing this and, and putting your hand in all of these like hypothetical cookie jars here, you just run out of that energy. And I think, I mean, at least maybe I can't speak for you guys, but I have been there before. I know when I was in university, it was the exact same way. Like I had all of my, all of my ducks in a row. I was always on the ice. I was always in the classroom. I was doing things outside and working in the community. I was leading school clubs that were doing community work. And I was trying to do all of these things to the absolute best of my abilities because that's what athletes do. We want to be performing at our best all the time. But when you're not taking the time that's needed to pull back the reins and sit and take some time for yourself and let your body recover and your mind recover, that's what leads to burnout. But it, again, like Lauren said, it comes from all of these really good intentions. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, I love my analogies. So <laughs> the whole idea, like, you know how I was like, oh, the flame's gone out, like that's burnout. Mm -hmm. So now I have this candle analogy in my mind. So the way I think of it is like, okay, a flame is burning on a candle. Like we are the flame, right? And let's say it gets windy or we're exposed to some of the elements. It's like, we pride ourselves on like staying lit, right? Like, oh, that's cool. Like we're gonna blow it around, but we're still there. And like, we pride ourselves on being able to navigate that, right? until like the elements get the best of us and we're out. It's almost like we need to be able to create those boundaries around that flame. So if it gets windy, like how do we shield our flame from that wind a little bit? If it's raining, like let's get an umbrella. And so it's like, how do we protect that light rather than like take pride in the fact that we can be put and exposed to these elements and like still be burning until we're not versus like, oh, this is coming. I know that this has the potential to like dim my flame. So what can I do to protect it? Right. And like, if you think about it that way, what would you guys say are some of those protection mechanisms you can use to keep your flame burning? Oh, that's, that's a big question. Yeah. I think like carving out time for I want to call it prehab, right? But maybe it's like an activity that is loosely re related to prehab. So like for me, um, 
it was going to yoga at least a couple times a week where it felt disconnected from my sport, but I also knew subconsciously that it was helping me with my sport, right? So like finding a way to enjoy something that was necessary. Like I needed to take care of my body. I needed to take care of my flexibility, but I was at a point where like, oh yeah, going to foam roll in the locker room before practice was not doing it for me. And I wasn't productive and I ended up doing something else instead. Um, so I think like finding an enjoyable way to, to do something that is technically a requirement is a good place to start if you can, or finding ways to make whatever it is that you're doing enjoyable. And um, one of the things that I did is I created like a really personal relationship with our athletic trainer so that when I was going in to see her, it wasn't just like 40 minutes of quiet time where I was with my thoughts the whole time. It was like, hey, how are you doing? What's new? Um, tell me about like something interesting or tell me about your day where, you know, you're not just thinking about your sport and doing sport related things and living, breathing everything for your sport. Mm. Getting a break from sport is like, definitely going to be key for sure mm. I think um for me I would say like to any well first and foremost to any student athletes that are listening is taking time to like schedule out your week in advance so you can actually like Lauren said make the time to be doing different things so okay where is it that I have free time in my schedule that I can schedule off a chunk of time or I can just dedicate that to myself now whether that's going to yoga, whether that's, I don't know, reading a book, doing something that's going to help you to like mentally, physically recover is, mm. is super important, especially when you're a student athlete, when you're like traveling all over the place, you're on the ice six days a week at the very least, sometimes seven, depending on what season you're in. Um, and then also having class and stuff on top of that. Right. So it can be super easy to fall into those kind of perfectionist strategies of, doing everything, working towards that next goal and not taking like a moment's time to just take a step back and, and just appreciate being you, being where you are, being, you know, being alive, being a human. So yeah, that's, that's what I did. Every Sunday I would sit down and, and schedule that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even to build on that, right? Like when we talk with coaches, we talk a lot about this idea of like seasonal imbalance. So even over the course of the season, like once you've been an athlete long enough, you know, like the, the extra stressy points. So like pre-seasons one, right. Where you're doing two a days and you have fitness testing and you have all of those things. If you get into playoffs, like, you know, there's going to be more demands because often so conveniently they align with like exam periods and stuff like that. So part of it is absolutely scheduling your week, but also looking like where over the course of the year are those like, you know more threatening, like windier or rainier days going to be. And then how can you plan to like have your umbrella close by? Like, so again, it's like that idea. Like if I know I'm going to be doing two days and fitness testing is stressful for me, like scheduling more like breathing exercises or meditation, right. Or phone calls with family, whatever it might be that works for you, but ensuring that you have those things to kind of, again, protect your flame and knowing over the course of the year, your needs to prevent burnout are going to fluctuate just like the demands are going to fluctuate 
on you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's a really good point to make because like we want to be as proactive with burnout as we possibly can be. We don't want to be at the point where the light is just flickering and barely staying alive, right? (laughs) We want to make sure that we're putting in these uh, like sustainable strategies that are going to allow us to be giving that constant, consistent effort day in and day out, regardless of what season it is, right? So if you know that this time of the season, things are heavier because you have exams and you have a lot of stuff going on in the rink because you, you know, coming up to mid season and you have to get these last couple points before going on Christmas break. And then you're also excited about family. So sometimes it's hard to stay, to stay focused on the present moment because you're just so excited to get to that holiday. Right. But what is Mm -hmm. it that we can be doing proactively to make sure that we're again, staying in the moment and also aware, okay, this is a heavy season right now. And these are some of the strategies that I can be applying now in order to make sure that I'm sustaining that light throughout the rest of the season as well. Yeah. And like the, the holistic approach to that too, right? Cause I know we talk about like, yeah, like the demands in terms of your sport, right. For us hockey, the demands in terms of school, but like also things outside of that, right. Because it's everything kind of seeps into everything else. So for me, for instance, like my dad's birthday is April 21st and he passed away in 2019. And I know around that time, it's important to me to create a little bit of like an insulation bubble. So I don't schedule as much at that time. And I consciously schedule to like be able to go for a walk and have some time to like journal and reflect. So to like proactively create a safe space for yourself, not only around like your accomplishments at school and where else, but like think about other areas of your life where you can show up you know, and like reignite that flame for yourself or protect it when you need to. Mm -hmm. There's another thing I want to touch on too. Um, I don't think we talk about enough is that high performing athletes tend to be all or nothing thinkers, right? They see things very black or white. Oftentimes it's helped them succeed. It's helped them to judge. This is helpful for my career versus this is not, this is good for my conditioning versus this is not. This is a good decision if I want to be a leader versus this is not. And when you said the, what was it? The imbalance of seasons and how there are more stressful points. My mind immediately went to the coping strategies that athletes use, right? So like in college, it's, it's no, but yeah, it's a no brainer, right? Like there's a lot of partying. There's a lot of drinking, It's the first time that athletes have been away from home and the watchful eye of their parents or their guardians. And I remember like heading into playoffs and getting that first week off was just this huge release of tension that ultimately turned into like a booze fest, right? And you, you're finally able to have fun. You're finally able to let loose and not worry about all of these other stressors. And I wonder if we need to address that all or nothing thinking more than anything else when it comes to burnout, right? Because all or nothing thinking isn't going to allow you to go out to a movie on Wednesday night instead of like watching film or getting another workout in. All or nothing thinking isn't going to allow you to go get ice cream with your teammates and just hang out or whatever it may be, because it's not productive for your training. It's not productive for a good product on the ice. So they think, right. 
So how do we address that kind of all or nothing thinking? And how do we help athletes understand that sometimes what you need doesn't necessarily have a direct correlation to your performance, good or bad? Does that question make sense? (laughs) Yeah, I'm just, it's such a good question. I'm trying to think of like how we could actually really, really dig, dig deep and approach that because when I, when I hear that question to me, it sounds, at least for me, it sounds a little bit more like not super spiritual, but like a little bit, like Mm. I'm a huge firm believer in balance. Like I'm not going to be eating clean and making sure I'm having like protein X amount, like every single day. Right. Like I want to be able to enjoy different things in life too. And like, for me, I love ice cream. I'm never going to say no to ice cream. So like, there you go like do with that what you will do with that do with that with with, yeah exactly if you want to buy me some ice cream mailing address you want to hang out just uh (laughs) just invite me to go to ice cream no um but but I think a lot of it does come back to like your intuition a little bit and like what feels right for you right like this isn't saying Mm. to overindulge in a lot of bad things but to know that it's okay not to be perfect coming back to that perfectionist kind of thinking like nobody's perfect we're all human beings before anything else right so like making sure that we are taking the time to realize like we can go and have that ice cream sundae without feeling guilty about it because like we're still putting in a ton of work it doesn't mean that we're not dedicated doesn't mean that we don't care it just means that fuck I want some ice cream like I don't know if that even helps at all but well, and this is now I'm getting into like MJ realm with an analogy here. So like I'm thinking of if you have all of these positive behaviors that fill your cup for performance and fill your cup for your sport, that's great. Doing something else that doesn't fill that cup doesn't mean that you're just like throwing it out the window and doing nothing. Like you're filling another cup. That's your personal life and your mental health. And that's kind of where I was going with this all or nothing thinking. And I'm glad that you brought up the perfectionist thinking as well is because people have the tendency or I shouldn't say people more than elite athletes have this, but um, the automatic association to doing something like going out and having a dinner you wouldn't normally have or going out to get ice cream is that it is a negative thing it has a negative impact on that performance cup like you're actively draining it mm-hmm. whereas I like that cup analogy that's a good one yeah whereas like no you're not actively like having a big pasta dinner and ice cream after isn't taking away from like the squats that you did or from the reps that you did at practice or from the video sessions that you watched But that I think is where a lot of minds go is like, this is actively taking away from my ability to perform. So I can't do it or I'm going to do it and I'm going to feel really guilty about it afterwards. Let's talk about those feelings though. Like, I think we neglect to talk about the feelings that are associated with those type of behaviors. So like when you do kind of give in to whatever that guilty pleasure is, let's go back to the ice cream example. And I say like, yeah, I'm going to go grab some ice cream. But then I start to feel bad about this because like, I know that I just had a really crazy workout or I know that tomorrow is going to be a beggar on the ice and like, it's going to affect how I perform, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
it's really important to dissect those emotions because when you allow those things to build up, it creates a lot of like resistance when it comes to performing mm-hmm. all the time, right? So if you're constantly pushing down these like feelings of like desire to do different things that maybe don't directly align with the goal that you have in athletics, then you are really just like pushing down your own like being the own feelings that you have as a human being, not just like as an athlete. And you're taking away from life is the kind of like the way I see that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Am I like, yeah, no. yes. I want <laughs> to, like, uh... <laughs> very quizzical brow. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. You know, I, I really, Lou, something you said really stuck with me. And that's that idea of like <clears throat> the dichotomy, it's not even a dichotomy because they usually go hand in hand, but like the elite athlete life mm-hmm. and the partying, right. And the excessive drinking and all of that. And it just makes me think like, that is the very common choice for an outlet. Yeah. Right. And there is this perception that you work hard all week, you go to practice, you do your schoolwork and because you work so hard, right. You deserve to like let loose. Right. And, and just have fun. And it's like, and you have to jam pack it all into that, like Saturday night after your games are done, because that's the window you've got. But it makes me think like when I reflect, like I used to really look forward to that and I have some great memories, but like in hindsight with my perspective now, was that always the best thing for me to do? Did it always make me feel great? Like, did I make some poor decisions on those Saturday nights? I would say like a handful of athletes probably did. Like, could those things lead to guilt and regret, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So it just makes me think again, it's like, it goes back to that fact that we pour and invest so much of ourselves over the course of the week. And if we don't have like those micro sustainable mechanisms through the week to alleviate some of that pressure and stress then that's what it resorts in is like that binge, whether it's like drinking or eating or doing something that's out of alignment with what we want. So Mm -hmm. like, I'm curious, like, do you guys think of like, and again, you're right. Like the eating ice cream, you can eat an ice cream. Like you, you work hard all week. Right. But like I said, there's this thing about athletes that sometimes they're, they are pushed to like that binging tendency, whether it's Mm -hmm. the partying or whether it's whatever, like, what are some actual sustainable, like healthy things that they could do over the course of the week to keep that in check a bit more. Hmm. Well, if I can jump in really quick to say like, we had this, um, we, we did a, I don't even know what it was. It was some kind of training that all student athletes had to go through at school. And the, the lady put like something up on the, on the screen. And it was like, I don't even know over, it was like 60% or something of student athletes engage in binge drinking. And then she was like, and here's the definition of binge drinking. And it's like, what more than three or four standard drinks per sitting. Okay. That's me on like an average night. <laughs> All right. So this is the point. Like my whole team, we're like, I binge at drink better like, than you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a better binge drinker. What Number one, like, everything's a competition. Right everything's oh, a competition. three to four. Like, okay. And then the other part of it was like, are you okay? If that's the qualifier, yeah, fucking right. We're all binge drinkers, unless you just don't drink. Like that was the thing. It's like we've all done it at some point. And then you're getting lectured at for how bad it is to binge drink and all this stuff. And 
um, to play into like the guilty feelings and is it the best decision? And, you know, all this stuff is like, well, no, but I think that going off of this and your comment that being an athlete and the party scene is kind of, it's not a dichotomy because they go hand in hand for a lot of people is we're almost set up to initiate that kind of behavior because we're taught that you can't make balance of it because alcohol is bad junk food is bad if you are an elite level athlete and to round back to your question something that I actually started doing I don't know probably like my senior year of college was like allowing myself to have a casual glass of wine on a Thursday night or a Wednesday night to sort of disconnect myself from this idea that this one decision has the ability to make or break my entire performance. And like, I'll be brutally honest, I'd have a glass of wine the night before a game with dinner. It's not a bad thing. It was not a bad thing for me. I was capable of doing it because I also had a mindset around it that said, hey, this is a really good way to like, just enjoy a glass of wine. You like the taste of it and unwind for a little bit. Do but, you think that, that comes like, with age? Yeah. Like, like the, the older <laughs> you get, like you've, you've done your years of binge drinking and, and all that stuff. You've done like the partying and stuff, but you just start to like appreciate having dinner and a glass of wine and that's it oh absolutely yeah age is a, is a little bit but I was still binge drinking also so. yeah, of course yeah. of course but it, like you have to have a balance right we sometimes yeah. we have one glass of wine yeah. and other days we binge drink so it's, it's yeah good. it's like in other days we just slash binge drinker. <laughs> can we talk um like dry seasons is oh, that too God. much of a yes, tangent no can we talk I mean I've never be, I've never had one I knew of people that had one, but like, I'm curious about your mindset on all of that. I hate them. Sorry, Taylor, we, go ahead. <laughs> I also don't like them. I think that they are like not productive at all. I feel like yeah. you're telling your athletes that you cannot do something, which first of all, makes them want to do makes it way more. It. <laughs> um, but I haven't seen, like, I know when we had our dry season, like we didn't perform any better. If, if anything, we maybe performed worse than what we were doing before going into that season versus on other seasons where our coach just let us live our lives. And he actually kind of was okay with some balance and like, not saying like, go out and go drinking and have a good time. Not anything like that. But like, for example, you know, after like a, a big weekend on the bus ride home, he'd like treat us to DQ on the way back, for example, or, you know, during the season, it wasn't like frowned upon if we had like a one game weekend that we could go out drinking and like have a good time. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't like, like it was like, again, that all or nothing, but I feel like when it is forced on you to have that all or nothing, like you literally cannot have a sip of alcohol during this period of time. I just, I don't know. I don't see it. It affects performance in a positive way. No. And let's just talk about what happens at the end of the season. It's dangerous is what happens. It's, it's actually dangerous. I think it's, it's because, and I went to a state school, right. Where like consistently my dad was shocked when he found out that Wisconsin is like one of the top party schools in the nation. 
and I was like okay yeah that's a thing everybody drinks did he know that before you went to Wisco (laughs) yeah he was like oh okay (laughs) Mm, not sure I support this decision anymore (laughs) (laughs) but yeah and there's a team a specific team that's another state school that I know of that coach firmly believes in dry seasons and it is uh, a conversation that coaches have to have with their players and players do buy into it at times but like you're at a school where partying is around you on every weekend so whether or not you go out as a team still or you don't you're gonna see it around um there's a feeling of exclusion from the college experience and then when you finally get it when the season's over everybody just goes wild and goes on a bender for like a week or two we had girls go on like 10 day benders like they I didn't see them sober for 10 days I was like you have a problem this is problematic girl showed up to to school with a bottle of vodka in a paper bag and was just drinking from the bottle I was like are you okay Uh, so it's like it's my problem with it is that your college age years you and when you're younger you're forming a relationship with a substance right and if you never learn how to set boundaries around it because somebody is dictating that to you I think that can be really dangerous I do understand the idea of and all of the science that goes behind Uh, how detrimental alcohol is to muscle recovery to sleep to all of these things I get that but like you have to have the middle ground I think I love how you put that that it's about the you know like everyone has to kind of form these boundaries or relationships to these substances and you have to provide like a framework where it can actually be sustainably accomplished and it's Mm -hmm. like whether it's a substance or in my mind, I just think about like commitment as an athlete, right? Like being in an environment that fosters like a healthy relationship with your sport, right? A healthy mm-hmm. relationship with school, like tries to provide some good, valuable insight for, for how to go, go through all of that. Cause I think sometimes your environment or your coaches can just fuel that all or nothing mindset, right? If they're yeah. not leading by example, in terms of saying, Hey, like, you know, you don't have to always do this and nothing else. Like we want to consciously create windows for you to think about what else you can do and understand mm-hmm. the importance of doing something else. Right. Cause I think yeah. that's a really big missing piece. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the example that we had at school was like, our coach said, look, I've been, I've been to college. I get it. I've been there. If you're ever in trouble, call us. Like if anything ever happens, please call us. We'll help you. And your job is to be a student athlete here. If your behavior when you're out drinking starts to interfere with that, we're going to have a conversation with you about it. So he was essentially saying from day one, like, look, we expect that this is going to happen. We've been here. We've done that. It's now on you to figure out what your boundaries are. We will be there to help you. There are resources to help you. But it was nice to have that, not like a leash, right? But like that statement to say, like, we get it. Stuff's probably going to happen. If it does, here's the plan. And 
now it's on you to figure out what works for you. I no, think I that's awesome that I think that's awesome that they like presented it in that way though because I mean when it comes to academics and athletics we're always preaching like you are a student first and then an athlete even though it might not always seem that way at times but you have academic standards that you have to be at in order to be playing on a team mm-hmm. right but why is it that when it comes to any other aspect of being a student like going out and drinking and having a social life for example that somehow gets put on the back burner by a lot of teams, especially obviously the ones that are implementing these, these alcohol-free seasons and stuff like that. Like, why is it that it's okay to be pushing off our balance in the social realm just mm. because you have a certain belief around alcohol and alcohol usage as an athlete? Yeah. And even just being aware of, of all of the roles outside of that, because you're right, we always say student athlete, but like, what other hats do you wear? Like you're, you're a student, you're an athlete, you're a friend, you're a daughter, you're a sibling, you're a, you know, so it's like, how can you consider like those people that you're coaching? Like, how can you consider them on that holistic level, even beyond just the athlete yeah. and the student? <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you're a family member at Christmas dinner and you feel guilty about having a glass of wine with your family because it's against the rules. Like it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's a good example for you. So when I was in my second year of university, um, my grandfather passed away very suddenly and I had to go home for the funeral and all of that. Yeah. Good, good stuff. Anyway, um, during this period, like it was just me and my goalie partner that we were the only two goalies on the team. And she ended up um, tearing her ACL during a game while I was away. And I don't know if this is uh, because of, of me as a person, like being like that high achiever at that time where I just like had to be making sure that I was people pleasing and all that stuff. Um, but I, yeah, like the day after the funeral, I jumped on a red eye flight and I was back and playing the very next day. Yeah. And needless to say, like that grieving period was very, very short. Um, Mm -hmm. now of course, a lot of that does come back on me and not like the team, obviously I was the one that chose to do that, but that's just a prime example of these things that can happen where, you know, I was a a grieving granddaughter and I chose to go back to my sport instead of stay at home with my family. So where is it? Mm -hmm on like the coaches sort of not responsibility entirely but to have that kind of compass to to say okay like there's balance that we need to strike here and like this is or this is not it Mm -hmm. yeah it's so crazy that you bring that up because I had almost the exact same thing happen in college except it was my uncle and um I remember going up to my coach the week we were playing in Duluth that weekend And I think we were leaving on Thursday as a team and the funeral was on Wednesday or Thursday. And I'm a wreck because it was like my mom's brother and they were really close at one point. And um, yeah, like going, getting excused from the rest of the week's practices and then going to the funeral and then leaving the day after showing up in Duluth when my team was halfway through warmups, getting my gear on and skating around for five minutes to get myself prepared for a game, being encouraged to do this 
And then making a mistake two shifts in and having my coach tell me, yeah, I, I just shouldn't have put you out there in that situation in the first place was crushing. And yeah. you're, that was a wake up call for me because I was like, I just put everything in my life on hold essentially. And like you said, like I put the grieving me on hold because this team is so important. I'm out here like giving my all at a stage where, you know, you're burnt out. It's right before playoffs. And then that happens. And it was a wake up call to me to say, okay, well, this is not, I can't live with, like, I can't live with that kind of evaluation coming mm -hmm. and being totally dependent on needing it to go a different way. Yeah. Well, it just makes me think, right? Like, I think the majority of coaches would have a lot of compassion for athletes in that situation, right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's the power in just having that conversation with people, right? And like actually verbally expressing that understanding. Like sometimes coaches feel very uncomfortable talking about anything outside of school or sport, right? So, because yeah. sometimes it's like lines are blurred too. So you don't like, you don't want to get in trouble for crossing it. So sometimes it can be convoluted, but at the end of the day, this is the challenge. What you guys highlight is in the absence of having that conversation and sharing their understanding and support of you comes that people pleasing high achiever mindset where it's like, I have to be there. I'm expected to be there. So yeah. as a coach, rather than allow your athletes to, to bury, like to care that, to carry that weight or bear that weight, have the conversation so that they have that external validation, at least that they can be a little bit more compassionate and understanding with themselves. Cause they tend to err on the side of, I need to do what other people expect of me. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I will say that my coach was like compassionate. He said like, if you can't like, it's okay. Like he gave me that kind of yeah. like, go ahead. Um, but again, like, so like that was my decision mm -hmm. and I, I played a great game. Like, I'll be honest, it, it went really well. Um, yeah. So like, that's, that's awesome. Um, but was it healthy? No, absolutely yeah. not. Absolutely not. Well, that, that gets into the conversation of boundaries, right? And the idea yeah. that like, often we think about boundaries as a way to protect us from other people, but really like, it's a way to protect us from ourselves. Right. And those like tendencies to self-sacrifice for what we fear other people want. It's like, how can we protect our values? And in those decisions, fight that like initial emotional reaction or like guilt to do what's right for us. Right. Well, and like in that scenario for me, I think a lot of it did come back to, okay, like I just lost somebody and hockey was always the one escape that I had from life. So I kind of welcomed it with open arms when I had that chance to go back and, and really step up to the plate for my team in that scenario, mm -hmm. given that my goalie partner had torn her ACL. Right. So like it yeah. was, of course, look at me seeing the opportunity and it was like such a shitty situation, but um, but then also like how terrible that was at the same time, because I was not allowing my body and my, my brain to feel all of that stuff that was coming up and did need to get out, which eventually down the road led to later problems. So, uh, mm. don't, don't recommend 10 out of 10. Okay. No matter how <laughs> much it's tempted. <laughs> um, yeah. but to kind of like circle back to the burnout thing, MJ, I'm curious, like what your opinion is on the coach's role 
and responsibility in maintaining athletes levels of burnout or preventing them from reaching that state? Well, again, I think, honestly, I think there's a lot of work for coaches to do themselves. Like burnout amongst coaches is rampant. Like there is just like players often feel there's something to do. Coaches often feel that there's something that they can and should be doing. And there's a big issue with like feeling like they bear the responsibility and the weight of the team's performance. Right. So it's, it's, it's ironically a lot of the same issues, but I Mm -hmm. think the most powerful place to start is for a coach to have some burnout strategies and tactics themselves to be able to lead by example. Right. Cause we all know, like if you have a coach that is there at six in the morning until 9 PM at night, and they're there every single day, like they can be telling you, Oh, like make time for yourself. But if they're not, you're going to feel this pressure. Like, Oh shit. Like if they're there at like this optional practice, they're there. I probably have to be there too. So like leading by example is probably the most powerful thing we can do because when we show that it's okay to step away and we actually do it rather than just say it, then the athletes will feel empowered to lead, like follow that. And also again, just creating clarity on why it's important to do that. Like not just say, Hey, there's an optional practice tomorrow. Like it's up to you sometimes, because again, we're fighting this people pleasing. It's not making it optional. It's saying you have the day off tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Or it's mandating things like meditation or yoga, or like, because again, some people aren't going to be apt to do it for themselves. So how can you mandate exercises over the course of the season that are going to promote the athletes recovery mm-hmm. and rest as well and your own. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. So, Great answer. so if we were to, if we were to sum this up, I like, I'm going to use the, the name of your masterclass, Taylor, breaking burnout. How do we break burnout? Are you asking me? Yeah, come on, fire oh. it off. You're talking to me? Everybody, I'm sorry. everybody if you have ideas. <laughs> yeah, for, I mean, for us, it comes back to those mindset strategies that we're operating off of on a daily basis in the first place, right? Like we were saying at the beginning of this, it's the maladaptive strategies that we're using on a daily basis that gets us into this position in the first place. So making sure that we're being proactive and taking care of our mental, emotional, physical health in that sense, because once you, as MJ so nicely says it, once you let that light dim and then go out, it's really Mm -hmm. hard to start it back up again. Yeah. And I think a big piece for me is, is learning how to have those or create or figure out what behaviors they are for you that allow you to fill that other cup right so it's not and recognizing that just because you're engaging in those behaviors doesn't necessarily automatically mean that you're like tossing water out of your athletic performance cup so you're filling something else so figuring out what those are setting healthy boundaries around them and understanding, I think this is the last piece that I would have that I find super important, understand why and how it fills that personal life cup. And then like, do them, enjoy them. I think that's a huge piece, like be present in those moments. Because it's so easy as, I mean, just as people, but obviously, especially as athletes, because we are those people that set goals and works, work, 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 work to get to that pinnacle moment where it happens. And then instantly yeah. we're just like, okay, what's next? Boom, 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 boom again, mm-hmm. right? Like take time 
to be in the moments, whether that's at the very outset of it, whether that's in the process of getting to that. And then most importantly, once you do reach that goal, take some fucking time to chill out and celebrate guys. Like it's not just about performance, 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 like enjoy life. It's about balance. 100%. Anything to add MJ? (laughs) Just not. Oh, you know me and the analogies. Yes. (laughs) I love them. Think about that cup analogy. Okay, so you know you're talking about the sports cup, right? And it's yeah. like you can do other things and you're not losing. Um, it's called Athletic Performance Cup is what it's Sorry, called. Athletic Performance Cup, <laughs> to be specific. Um, I pictured like a tea set. So it's like you're the kettle. So you're like the teapot, okay? So you are the teapot. Like Lauren is I'm the teapot. And in her tea set, she has like a sport performance cup and then like a family cup and a friend cup and like a personal growth or happiness cup. And it's like, I love that you, you have a tea set. <laughs> you have to like pour yourself. Does she have toddlers? Yes. Yes. You know? Yes, she does. Do you have do tea you parties? We actually don't have any tea sets, sadly. Maybe oh. I can. Convince well, there's nothing wrong with boys having tea sets. That's what I'm saying. I just said, maybe I can convince Sam that he wants one. He'd probably be down. Yeah. I but will yeah, have a virtual saying. tea party. Sorry to like really, really. <laughs> Hammer down on your tea teapot analogy here. <laughs> I like oh. it. The tea set. Your life's a tea set. You got to pour yeah. into all the cups. Love it. Pouring into one doesn't take away from the other, like you said. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. a quote for for like life now. Life Just is look, like life, out, life is like out. a tea set. Like <laughs> pour it into all your cups. You're the pot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that's uh. been. <laughs> This and week's after episode. an hour, this is why we. <laughs> I think we're gonna have to make the title of this one "Burnout." A little teapot. And binge drinking and teapots. Burnout, <laughs> Burnout binge Dry drinking season. and teapots. <laughs> oh God! I will be honest though. I really did think of Beauty and the Beast and Mrs. Pot and like Little Chip. Hundred mm-hmm. percent, first thing that came to mind. Mm-hmm. Am I a child? Yes. No, Do I hate it? No. You're just a fan of no. Disney movies. You're just a fan of Disney movies. It's okay. That's how All I right, guess I gotta run because I have another meeting. But um, I'm gonna stop the recording. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>